When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Musician Podcast with creator and host Nomad. With 20 plus years of experience in the music industry, Nomad has done just about everything to earn a living as a career musician. From being music director to celebrity artists, playing iconic arenas and stadiums, composing for film and TV, and even playing your average local club gigs, he's done it all. Nomad's mission is to empower musicians across the globe with strategies for a sustainable career while blasting stereotypes and to bring you tried and true wisdom from his colleagues in this crazy business we call music. On this episode, we have Michael Elsner, guitarist, composer, producer, and now music sync licensing guru. He created a course called Master Music Licensing, and let me tell you, he has done just that. With over 2,000 placements in his own catalog, this guy knows everything there is to know about getting your music in film, TV, and any multimedia purpose platform. He gives us a little bit of insight right here on the episode, but you can also check out his course. So grab a pencil and take some notes to learn how to get your music placed in film, TV, and multimedia right here on the Career Musician Podcast with none other than Michael Elsner. Welcome to another episode of The Career Musician. I am sitting, what, roughly 1,800 miles away from my next guest today, Michael Elsner, and my good buddy, dear friend, guitar shredder, producer extraordinaire, engineer extraordinaire, uh, music licensing sync master guru, literally, and overall good dude. Michael Elsner, welcome to the Career Musician Podcast. I love that you actually did the map and figured out how many miles apart we are. <laughs> Roughly. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It's awesome. Yeah. This is awesome. Thanks for having me, Michael. Michael this Nomad Rapole. That's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. Michael to Michael. Mano and mano. Uh, okay, so welcome, and you know what? I have a list of questions and outline and I sent it to you and I just did your podcast as a guest and you sent me your outline. I, I, I really dig that by the way. Um, had a great time on your podcast. Thank awesome. you by the way. I, I had an awesome time talking to you. So yeah, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah. And I kind of want to throw my interview outline out the window because 
Michael Elzner and I have had this ongoing debate, well, I think 15 years now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to put some like some some boxing music underneath this, you know, some exciting underscore. You know, he's always saying, look, if I could get a touring gig, I'd be a happy man. And I always said, forget touring. I don't give a shit about touring. If I can get half of the sync licenses that you have, I would be a happy man. So we've always had this ongoing, you know, little battle back and forth. Uh, first of all, without going too deep, give me a brief history of, you know, your music trajectory and your goals and why the heck, you know, why were you so hell bent on being a touring musician? What was, what was that all about? So, well, I, I started playing guitar as a teenager, like most, you know, young, uh, male guitar players right. <laughs> um, Eddie Van Halen <laughs> sure absolutely yeah. and uh, I got into it hard and I just fell in love with it and I got into all those guys I got into Eddie Van Halen and Randy Rhodes Paul Gobert Steve Vai Satriani yeah. uh, John Petrucci you know this is the late 80s early 90s so it was uh, you know um, that was those were the guys Eric Johnson you know stuff like that um, so I got into the technicians who were also very melodic and and um you know, played, played with great bands and stuff like that. So, you know, I was always, always the guy who played in bands and, and, um, uh, that was always the goal, you know? So I, I played in a band for a number of years up in New York and made some music up there and made some records. And I got my, had my first experience in a studio in the you know mid nineties and was captivated by that process. And, uh, and, and I was kind of frustrated afterwards because while we had spent like a year playing all these shows to make, enough money to to make a you know a, a record go into a studio for a week and make a record when it was done it sounded great but it just didn't sound like us it was so produced and so slick and the guy who was the engineer at the studio he basically became the producer but he didn't really know what we sounded like and so it was funny we were excited about it but i think after about three months later after the novelty wore off i i just listened to it and i thought this doesn't sound like us it's not it didn't capture, you know, us. So I, I started getting into production and, you know, got a four track and started learning how to record songs. And, and um, I was always writing songs, always doing that. And um, I moved to Nashville in 98. Uh, you know, it's funny because I wonder why I did move to Nashville <laughs> at, as opposed to like going out to Los Angeles and whatnot. But I think it was just closer to New York and whatever. And I thought I could easily, you know, go there and get a gig and, and, you know, travel. And at that point I was in my early twenties. And so I just wanted to travel. And, um, but I started working with some engineers and producers and, uh, you know, working with them. And I basically spent, you know, four and a half years, uh, started off as an assistant engineer for like a year then a year and a half, maybe. Then I, I started producing. I kind of just jumped right into producing and uh, started producing records and then playing on records and, you know, taking my songs around to publishers and, you know, tried to form a band. It was very difficult to form a band in a music community because all the great players are out traveling with other artists. Isn't that true? Yeah. yeah. So that was uh, that was something I wish I knew, you know, before I, I, I still <laughs> did that. And then uh, moved out to Nash, moved out to Los Angeles in 2003. I had realized that I had basically in my first four and a half years in Nashville, I had kind of pigeonholed myself as uh, Nashville is very much that kind of town, as you know, that that you get pigeonholed very quickly. And uh, and I got pigeonholed as just a studio guy. And so I thought, well, I'm going to go out to Los Angeles. I'm going to re rebuild my career. And I moved out to L.A. I landed a gig on a TV show right off the bat playing guitar on a TV show. 
and that led to some films uh, working with some composers. So right off the bat, I just landed in the TV world and the film world. Which uh, TV show was that? The first show I ever did was The Young and the Restless. And mm. then the first movie I ever did was um, Ella Enchanted. Wow. And uh, and so then um, then I, I I met some you know music supervisors of course through that whole thing and started getting my songs placed. You know, I mean, I'm really condensing the whole thing, but yeah, I moved, yeah, out, please, I moved yeah. out to L.A. to to, to try and find a, a touring gig. And but, you know, I needed money. So I picked up the session gigs <laughs> and um, and then that uh, basically, you know, through the through the 2000s, um, I, I spent a number of years just trying so hard to really get out of the studio world and get into the touring world. And then I Let's see, around 2007, I was like, well, if I can't land a touring gig, I'll at least create a band. Maybe that'll do it. So I created a band and we did three records and then had a ton of placements. But that was 2007, 2008, 2009. So the worst time to go after a record deal when the economy's tanking and record labels are, you know, uh, laying people off. And then that was in, the beginning of the demise of the of the music industry. Yeah. It really was. In fact, 2008, 2009 was an interesting time to watch just being a part of the licensing world to see how all the labels really in 2008 to 2009, that's when they transitioned from, oh my gosh, we're losing money like crazy. Let's try and make some money back through licensing. And you saw that big transition happen during 2008, 2009, where, where, uh, where licensing was very much like a tertiary kind of thing that, oh yeah, we'll, we'll do some licensing, you know, but we're really focused on album sales and, and publishing and this and that. Man, during, during those two years, you know, maybe maybe 2008 to 2010-ish, there was a real transition that happened and uh, and it became a main focus for a lot of libra uh, uh, record labels. And it was interesting to be a part of that, you know, transition, especially a lot of my friends were music supervisors and stuff like that. And where it be at one point it was very easy to go and hang out with them and go grab lunch. You know, a year and a half later, all of their lunch schedules are full because they're meeting with all the A&R guys who are afraid of losing their job tomorrow <laughs> you know wow so there was a big transition that happened during that you, time you you did such a great job of tying that in segueing this is perfect because this is all i care about for this episode you are look i said it in the intro i'll say it again you are the sync licensing master sensei guru of this <laughs> fucking industry. That, yes, you are. No, no. I'm officially giving you the MSG title for sync licensing. MSG, Master Sensei Guru. That's it. Dubbed Michael Elsner. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I'm basically, you're basically calling me like, like the Cobra Kai Sensei. <laughs> That's right. You're the ultimate of the ultimate Yoda. Yes. Yeah. I guess maybe I should be more or less the Mr. Miyagi instead of Crease uh, uh, from Cobra okay. Kai, but whatever. What, whatever you prefer, <laughs> that's whatever <laughs> title you prefer, you get it. So here's the deal, ladies and gentlemen. Um, look, you know, I've always admired Michael's propensity for this. And he and he still says, oh, I, I, I don't know. I just kind of did it and I did it and it happened and naturally, and, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And yes, you are right. Your your career took the natural trajectory that it took, just like mine took a different one, but in a similar fashion. But here's what I admired, admired about you. You took the time to put your head down and study. And mm -hmm. you kept studying and you figured out how this side of the industry worked. And then not only did you succeed in that side of the industry, you bountifully succeeded. You mastered that side of the industry. Now you have to understand, Michael, 
The reason why it's so important to a lot of people who haven't done it is because it's impressive, number one, because you are successful in that you earned a living and a good living at doing what you love and what you're passionate about. You took the music that you created, that you composed, that you wrote, and you licensed it and kept doing it successfully for many years. Mm -hmm. This is what... A lot of musicians want to know how the heck you do it. Explain your the, the how you got into you know music licensing and how you mastered it and now everything that you're offering. So I learned early in my career as a guitar player that I was able to reach certain uh, levels a lot quicker if I put together systems to get there. Uh, and what I mean by that is you know I had friends who were also playing guitar who you know they would just sit around and play and, and they would really not get, you know, they wouldn't really get better. They would just get, you know, I mean, they, they wouldn't really get to the next level very quickly. And, and I learned that if I actually sat down, I call, sorry, I call that musical masturbation. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and I learned that for me, if, if I actually spent like a half hour, very focused uh, on on accomplishing some specific task, I could I could get it done, and I would actually develop my skills much quicker, and so that was something that I learned that just works for me in in a lot of different ways. So for me, I work really well when I'm able to figure out a system, and of course, you know, I was just a I was into studying guitar, so what I would do is I would uh you know I would read these guitar magazines and stuff like that, and. And I would I would put together these little practice regimens based on like what I learned in that month in, in the guitar for the practicing musician, you know, article. Uh, and um, and I would be able to accomplish it. And it'd be the same thing when I was reading the tab for some of these songs. And granted, you know, this is also the, the late 80s, early 90s, where the technical facility of these guitar players was at a whole other level. You know, guys like George Lynch and Paul Gilbert and Citriani and stuff. So to be able to play their songs, it, you know, it was, took, took a bit. But I really wanted to play them, so I would I would really systematically put together this process on how to learn it. Maybe I'd learn it at half speed, and then you know that was the nice thing about like some of the old cassette players. You know, you could slow them down, you know, and uh, and then you know uh, just get better at at at, um, at at following an actual system. And it was it was the same thing when it came to licensing. Licensing was not my focus when I started having success licensing my songs. It was just a great way to make money while I was still pursuing you know the touring uh, pursuit. And so at that point, I just wanted to do what I what I normally don't do, which is just to put together a system that will allow me to get results. Now, I have a process that has gone through many different changes over the years as the industry's changed and as I as I learned more about how to do it. Um, but it, it's it's consistent. And the nice thing about that process is it allows me to shut off the left side of my brain. Right. As humans, we're right brain, left brain people. But That's right. when you follow a system, you can shut off the left left part of your brain. You can stay creative and you never have to ask what's next. Okay. And that's what I really enjoy about putting together systems. There's no there's no science to it really. It's just a matter of going, well, this works. This works consistently if I do this. So this is the new system. I do this, 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 and this, and this. It just becomes a checklist. And so I love that. And hold on. Let's park there for a minute. That's that's really important that you are able to shut off the left side of your brain. And it becomes a system. And if you systematically go through this checklist, it's going to work. Yeah, of it's course. A, it's a proven scientific theory. Yeah. It's a universal theory, right? Yeah. 
Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Yeah, the systems will get you to the end. There, there's a. I heard this really cool uh, uh, phrase, uh, and it was a. It was a guy who was talking about uh, s- schematics, right? Mm-hmm. And as as guitar players, we all know that at the end of a uh, the the manual that comes with our guitar amplifier <laughs> or any piece of outboard gear that we bought over the years, you know, preamps or whatever for engineers and stuff like that. There's that last page or two where you can fold it out and it has all these weird squiggly lines and weird numbers and that we don't understand, but a, a smart engineering person would. And and it basically that's the schematic of that piece of gear. It shows how the signal goes through it, right? So a schematic, what is the short... Uh, a schematic is re- just a system, right? What is, the, uh, what is the root word of schematic? Well, it's scheme. We always hear like, oh, get rich quick scheme, get rich quick scheme. And I heard this guy one time say, he goes, he, and he was kind of, you know, basically saying how that's a stupid phrase. He goes, because a scheme is a schematic. It's a system that gets you from one point to the other. And you have to ask yourself, what's better, a get rich quick scheme or a stay poor slowly scheme? <laughs> I thought, wow, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So really, if we can put together a schematic that gets us from here to here quickly, that's the goal, right? That's great. And, yeah. And so, of course, as a guitar player, you know, always practicing and getting better, it was always like, this is what I'm going to work on this month. This is what I'm going to work on this week. And, and you want to see results quickly, you know? And so systems work. That's what, to me, licensing became this thing where it just became, um, well, this is great money. This is a great way to, you know, I'm able to write songs that I want to write. And this is this is what's really exciting. I send it out and, and my songs are getting placed. Well, I'm obviously doing something right. So let me put this together. And then I'd send stuff, stuff out and, not, you know, I might change it and something wouldn't work. Well, what did I change? Well, this is back when I was sending out CDs. Well, I completely changed the CDs. Like now I was actually like printing cool covers and graphics mm. and, and stuff like that. Well, that didn't work. If I just go back to the plain CD with the back with just like the description of each 
song, that seems to work. Okay, this is like pre metadata. That was like metadata right. before it became metadata. Well, why analog did, metadata. It, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. why was that working for me? Well, because because while the arts, the art, the the, the cool color graphics and J card and all that were nice. It didn't describe the music at all, but just having the white J card that described the music, I actually have an old one sitting over there. Uh, uh, it described the terms, so a music supervisor could turn it over and see, oh, track three, that's a female vocal track. It's a, a upbeat pop track in the style of Kelly Clarkson. Now, this is like 2004, 2005, right? So uh, where you know she, she was a yeah, bigger artist at the time. Oh, this is great. And so they could, they knew just by looking at the CD without even listening what they were getting. And I learned, okay, that worked. But when I changed it and I tried to make it look more professional, that didn't work so well. Why did it not work? Well, when I really analyzed it's because I took all the description stuff away. You know, I was just trying to make a cool graphic. Well, that's not going to work. Okay, so let's let's scrap that. Let's just stick with the with the plain stuff that describes every single song. Now, as technology changed and as we were able to start delivering files, that information got added to an audio file in the form of what we call metadata. So this is pre-metadata, mm -hmm. but it's it's metadata just, you know, pre the actual, you know, digital delivery of the file. And and that was that was so key to go. Okay, this is what works. So go. So that's basically step three in my process. Is really the metadata aspect of it. But then there were other things that would come up. <clears throat> like for example, I'd be at like a sushi place having dinner with a friend, and I get a call from from someone who's like, "Hey, we're licensing the song today. It's a commercial. It's like a twenty thousand dollar commercial." But they need the stems, and they need them in like thirty minutes. And I'm like, I'm like forty five minutes away from my studio. You know, and, and then I'd have to quickly like in dinner and, and quickly get to my car and drive down the 405 or whatever with a 101, wherever we were at yeah, as fast yeah, yeah. as I could. And and then I was like, well, I'm not going to be caught in this position anymore. So I'm going to deliver my my mixes and my stems and I'm going to deliver all the stuff initially. That became step two of my process. So my Your process deliverables included everything from the get go. Yeah, yes. because I because I had these I had successes and then I had massive failures and I realized that, well, I want to keep it again as streamlined as possible so I don't have to leave the sushi restaurant next time. That's right. and, and then it became, okay, <laughs> this becomes part of my system. And so that to me is basically the way that, that I've, I've been able to do it. Now, before we started filming, we were talking a little bit about metadata and you'd ask me a question and I said, it's about thorough metadata and, and you were digging a little bit deeper, uh, please expound to, yes. get to the information. And, and the reality is like metadata is just information. Like if you want to know what metadata is, if you have iTunes on your computer and you have Pink Floyd's The Wall, you know, saved on it, uh, and you want to listen to Comfortably Numb, you can, You have two options. You can either go into your catalog and scroll down to P for Pink Floyd, then scroll down to Pink, and then find, you know, Pink Floyd, and then find The Wall album, and then find, That's you know. That's the archaic then, way. Yeah, then you got to scroll down. <laughs> Is it on disc one or disc two? And then, you know, or you can go uh, into the top search bar and type in the word comfortably. Uh, and when you type that in, Every song in your catalog that shows up with the word comfortably as a title or or, or the, numb or numb. Yeah, it's yeah, going to yeah. show up. And then you can click on the one that says comfortably numb by Pink Floyd. Right. And that's how you yeah. can quickly listen to Pink Floyd. You can even type in Floyd or Pink. You yeah, could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just at that point, you'd have a lot more to go through if you had a, right. a, a lot of yeah. their albums. So 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 that's metadata. And now you have to look at your end users, your end users or supervisors and editors who are looking for the perfect song for the scene that they're working on right now. And they're going to use specific descriptive keywords to describe the type of music that they need for that. 
and you want to apply those descriptive keywords to your audio file. You want to embed them in the audio file so that when they search those words, you always, I look at it like a funnel. They're going to start with 100,000 tracks and you want to end up at the bottom of that search. You want to be in the bottom like 10 or 12 tracks so that you at least get auditioned for the opportunity. It's kind of like finding a road gig, right? Beautiful. There's tens of thousands of guitar players out there, but for you to become the guitar player for this artist, you got to show up at that at that at that uh, audition, you got to be the 10 or 12 guys that shows up at the mm. audition so you can at least have a standing chance to land the gig. And it's the same That's thing right. with licensing, you know, and, and right. what gets you there in that aspect is the metadata and the, the, the metadata that dis accurately describes and thoroughly describes your music. Oh. Oh, it's wow. You just what? First of all, hold on a minute. What, you don't want to be Master Sensei Guru? What do you want to be? Oh, what, the Mr. Miyagi? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mr. Miyagi. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'll, be, all, I'll, be, I'll be Cobra Kai. It doesn't matter. Okay, I'm a karate Cobra, kid. <laughs> first of all, it was amazing, that the way you did that and the way you brought it all together. So, yes, that is perfectly uh, uh, applicable. And, folks, listen up. So what Michael's talking about, if you're not hip, just start Googling metadata, sync licensing, and you know, just start typing in these terms. You'll learn quickly about it and how it works. Uh, but more so, let's direct everybody to your course. Let's talk about mastermusiclicensing.com, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. That's your course. That's that's uh, a that's a website. Yeah, the course the course I only open up a couple times throughout the year, but I do have an ebook that just, that that um, you can read in about forty five minutes, and you will learn the exact process that I've used to get my my sync placements over the years and and the biggest thing that i would say to anyone listening who who is a musician who wants to get their songs in tv and film and let's just say that you've been trying to do this and you've failed the first thing is 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 it's not your fault that you failed it's probably not even the fact that you know uh, your music's good or bad it's the fact that your music's not even been heard yet and th and the thing you have to keep in mind this is the biggest thing you have to keep in mind when it comes to licensing your music is that a lot of musicians, they approach licensing their songs the same way they approach getting their music out in the traditional music industry path, which is finish your song and then send it out. And that's a two-step process. You have to keep in mind when you're licensing your music, you're not working in the music industry. You're working in the TV industry and in the film industry and in the commercial industry. Say that again, bro. Say that again. So important. Yeah, you're working in a completely different industry. So, and th that's what musicians don't understand. Yeah, so so your end users in the traditional music industry path, when you're delivering them your song, we'll say we'll say it's someone at a radio station. We'll say it's a fan mm -hmm. who came to your show and bought your CD. They they are taking your song. They're taking the stereo mix of your song. Mm. They're putting it in their player and they're listening to it. That's how they mm. they absorb your music. They're experiencing it, and that's great. That's how they're supposed to experience it. Those are those end users in that path. But in the TV world, in the in the commercial world, in the film world, in the film and video game uh, trailer world, in the video game world, whatever it is, anything synchronizing music to video, your end users are absorbing music completely different. Let's just talk about TV shows really quickly. And I'll give you an example of why the approach is different right off the bat. First thing is, in music, we mix music in stereo, Right? We hand a stereo mix to someone via a CD or a file. That's they right. listen to it through two speakers. That's but right. when you watch a TV show or you go to a movie theater, what are you listening to music in? You're not listening to it in stereo. Mm -hmm. 
you're in surround mode. Surround system 5.1. 5.1, right? Yep. So what's happening is when you deliver your music, you're going to deliver your music to, say, a music supervisor. They're going to license it. Now they're going to hand it off to the music editor. That editor is going to put it in the scene as needed and, and make all the adjustments and the cuts as needed to fit the edit. And then they yes. take that. They take the music. They take all the dialogue from the actors. They take all the sound design. Oh. And they hand it to a person called a re-recording mixer. And that's... And that person then takes that and they mix it in the surround space. So, so <sighs> in the music industry path, when you hand off your music, you're the, you have the final say. This is my music. Now you get to listen to it. But when, you, when you're mm. working in the music, in the, in the TV, in the film industry, in the commercial industry, there are at least three steps beyond you, people beyond you, who are going to manipulate your, their, your music to help them tell the story that's, that's right. being told visually um, and, and they're going to manipulate your music. They're going to manipulate the mix. They're going to manipulate the edit, right? And so you need to deliver them music in such a way that allows them to do their job easily and quickly. And before they even get to the point to where they can take your song and, and manipulate it, they have to search it. So there's where the metadata comes in. Then they have to go through the licensing process. And if you're a musician and you don't know the first thing about sync or master licenses, then you can be assured <laughs> that they're not going to work with you because right. this is a professional industry. And just like any other industry, you're not going to go to a doctor, you know, who just wants to be a doctor. You're going to go to someone who actually knows what they're doing. And it's the same thing with these individuals uh. because we have, we have, we're dealing with intellectual property and intellectual property rights. And when it comes to that, you're dealing with copyright. You're dealing with the legalities of the ownership of that, both the master recording, the publishing. And, and if there's ever an issue, there's, there's even insurance involved in this process, errors and errors and emissions insurance. Let's say you're an artist and uh, you took a sample from the intro of Michael Jackson's Billie Jean. You just took that intro, for, you know, four beat drum group yeah. and you created a song around it, that loop. Uh, legally, you can't use that. If, if someone were to license that from you, uh, because legally you don't own that drum loop, they could be on the hook financially. They could be sued. But so, hold on. If you replay that, you can't you can't copyright a beat. No, I I I mean you actually took the actual sample right. from the right. thriller so, album. Right. So what I'm saying the solution is just replay that beat yeah. or program yeah. that beat. I yeah. mean that that beat's been played a zillion times. Yeah, right. Yeah, and you can't just, copyright you, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but the same point, but you can copyright but that that master recording is right. is that's copyright. And this is yes. these are the problems though because a lot of musicians don't understand the business right. that they take loops that they don't own. And oh. they utilize, and, and this is the reason why it, it's not as simple as just, oh, I'm just going to send my music out to a supervisor. Well, good luck. Uh, <laughs> the supervisor, A, doesn't know anything about you. And how do they know that you legally own every aspect of it? So there's, so there's a little bit more to licensing than just the initial example of packaging up your music and sending it out. And that's why. We'll call that. Go ahead. Sorry. sorry. Well, I, I, I call that checks and balances. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it really is like it's like vetting, you know, the, the music has to be vetted and legal. And, the, you know, there's there's again, you're, you're walking into a, a big industry with a lot of money exchanging hands on a daily basis. When you're getting your song on a TV show, it's not going to be a demo. Right. That's so, right. So you're playing with the big boys. And if you want to play with the big boys, you got to play like the big boys. You have to know how the game is played. 
And licensing your music is not hard. It's definitely within the reach of every single independent musician. But you have to learn new strategies, you know, and have new skill sets to get your music out there because you have to basically learn uh, uh, how a different industry utilizes uh, and absorbs your music. Matt, whether it's Netflix or NBC, the indemnification clauses are a big deal. Right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Basically what you're saying, can you expound on that and, and what that means well, to the audience? Th th that means like, like within that contract is, is you're absorbing the, the, uh, the, um, the responsibility. Yeah. The liability. That's right. <laughs> yeah, responsibility, the liability. Uh, but at the same point, um, that's one of the reasons why even now you see a lot of supervisors don't work with independent artists directly anymore like they used to. They work right. through libraries. And in the licensing world, a library is a music publisher. Now, if you're a little older, uh, like myself, uh, you like might... myself. <laughs> you, you, you come from an era where, where libraries were often kind of like just the, well, I'm just going to throw like my little instrumental tracks into a library. That's not yeah. what libraries are anymore. Libraries no are full-fledged publishers that fully administer the rights to not only instrumental tracks, but vocal songs. They There are libraries that represent the vocal song catalogs of big artists that you probably own their CDs in your, in your music collection. So even right. big major artists and big major labels are working through various libraries and administrators that fully administrator, administrate the music specifically and only to the sync licensing industry. Join the Career Musician Facebook group and get involved in the conversation. I'm Michael Elsner, and you are listening to the Career Musician Podcast with my buddy, Nomad. Help us continue to provide you with new and engaging content by getting our ratings up. Please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Mm. Man, okay. So this is so important, everybody. Um, and again, if you're, if you're lost, just start Googling some of the terminology and yeah. start with music supervising or start with sync licensing and how to sync you know, yeah. my music or how to license my music. And, and, and that's all going to pop up again. Uh, master music licensing. Your ebook is available where for free master music licensing.com. Just go there .com. and you'll see a link that says get started. Or I have a big blog page with tons of information on licensing. You can go to the blog and on the each blog page, there's a little link that you can always download the book. The book is free or you can get on Amazon or Walmart and you can spend seven bucks. So you can either get it for free on my website or go to Walmart and Amazon and give them some money. <laughs> Seven bucks. That's right. Okay. Well, I, I love this because again, the, the, you know, the whole mission statement of the career musician is to empower musicians with strategies for a sustainable career. Awesome. And if you asked me what portion, what percentage of my income was generated from sync licensing, I would say it used to be about a third. Now it's vying for about a halfway percent a 50%. Yeah. I want to get it to the point where I have it at about 80 to 90%. So all the music that I do is just for fun. In other words, if I play guitar on a track for somebody, it's because I just want yeah. to have fun. And I really like that track, right. you know, or I like that person. Or I like that artist, yeah. but I want this. I want the majority of my income to be passive income. And, and folks, that's what this is. It's passive income. So yeah. when you hear people talk about, oh, you know, horizontal money, I'm making money while I'm sleeping. Okay, well, that's passive income, and that's right. And again, 
I keep tooting Michael's horn because it's true. He has mastered that area of the industry. I'm doing pretty well in that area. I'm nowhere near him. <laughs> I, I, wanna, I have not I wanna, achieved your level of success. There. I want to take what you said to another level, though, because I, I love that you're talking about passive income. And I, I want to be clear. I, I actually, I call it massive and passive. There you uh, go. Here's, I like it. Here's the reason why. Because um, in the licensing world, there are actually two forms of income. And 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 um, you have the the initial income, the immediate income, from the initial licensing fees, the sync fee itself. Yes, yeah, and and then you also have the passive income from the yes. back end royalties that that uh, that you would get paid through your performing rights organization when the TV show or the commercial airs. And 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 here's the thing, when it comes to licensing. Um, yeah. You know, there's like anything. There's different levels. You can have a you can have a gig with a with an artist who's playing some smoky bar, and it's a gig, but it's not an A level gig, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. And then you can have the the big tour where you know you're playing the arenas and and the and the stadiums, and that's your A level gig, right? Well, licensing yeah. is kind of the same thing. Um, you know, you can you can supply music for, uh, you know, network primetime TV shows. Or you can, you know, supply music for the Hunting Channel, which I don't know if it even exists, and if it does, it might not have a, a ton of viewers. But the difference here is that one has a lot large viewership, um, and 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 like for example, like a TV show on ABC or NBC on Thursday night at prime time is going to have a large viewership. And actually, what this is called, this is actually called the hookup weight. And what that means is that virtually every TV in America. Uh, uh, whether you have cable or not, you can get one of those little digital antennas and you will be able to access ABC, NBC, and CBS. All of us have access to those networks, whether or not we watch them or not is one thing, but we all have access to it. Cable is a different thing. It depends on what you pay for it, right? But the hookup weight means that there's a ton of people that have access to ABC, NBC, CBS, the network uh, channels. So if you get songs on shows like that, you're going to have a much higher... Uh, li licensing fee, uh, sync fee, and and if you get into like things like doing film trailers or video game trailers, video games mm. in general, commercials, any type of advertisement, whether it's a radio commercial or whether it's a TV commercial, advertisements always pay great. So I always look at these as as the upfront fees can be massive income, mm. and the back the back end income is your great passive income. So the massive passive income stream ah. is is what you're going after. And that's dependent on you. If you want to make massive income, then you got to write music and you got to gear it for the right outlets that are going to actually pay you that uh, that income. If you're writing music for the hunting channel, then you can't complain when your music's not making a lot massive income for you. Because <laughs> again, I don't even know if that network exists, but but right. I, if it does, then I, 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 I'm going to assume that there's not a ton of viewership to it. Well, hold on here. And this is so perfect. I'm so glad you brought it up because I have music in a show called uh, Pitbulls and Parolees. Oh, I'm very right? familiar with that show. Yeah. Right. I think you have music in that show too. I, we both do. I probably do. I'm yeah. sure you do. Well, it's one of those, you know, off-brand kind of cable yeah. shows that, you know, it's it's a very niche market. Yeah. Look, some of the cues, uh, a cue, obviously, my listeners, if you don't know, a cue is a little piece of music that goes under the dialogue, referred to underscore cue, yeah. right? Um, some of those make 
30 cents, 65 cents, depending on how long they use it. Some of them might make a dollar and change or $3 and change. Okay, so that's a decent show. But I always say, if you're doing the cable shows or those type of shows, it's like the penny stocks. Yeah. You have to have hundreds of them or thousands of them yeah. for it to add up. But what Michael's saying is, conversely, if you have one or two or three major network placements, yeah. okay, it could all balance out. So in other words, if I had a thousand small little cues on the cable that that came out to $2,000 on my statement, yeah. or if I had one decent placement on NBC, that could also be $2,000 just in that could. one placement. But but here's the thing, though. I don't ever focus on the one placement. Uh, when the thing that I teach that's important is I always focus on consistent placements. And mm. the reason why is because you don't know the editor who's using your music for Pitbull, Pitbulls and Paroles. You know, he, he might love your music, but yeah. he might be working on the next big CBS show next year. Ah, and you, that's and you, so true. It is. Oh, absolutely. Is or he might be. He might get a commercial for like Skechers or something like that. And you know, That's if he's right. been working with you and he's and he he knows your your name and he he knows your music and he likes it and he's or I should also say she to be politically correct, but of we course, don't know. Amen. Um, uh, they let's say they they, yeah. they yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, that person. Um, uh, you know they uh, they they're gonna they're gonna start with with who what they already know. I have. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. I have so many examples of of songs of like this. I, I have a couple of tracks that just get used over and over and over and over and over. And I'm one of those guys where I like to do the research. I get the cue sheets and I'm like, man, how is this one song getting used yeah. on all these shows? And what I'll do is I'll start, I'll get into IMDb, internetmoviedatabase.com. Uh, yep. And and I will I will go into the full cast and crew section for those shows, and I'll scroll down to the music department, and I'll look at who the editor is. And you know what's really interesting? A lot of it times, it's the same editor going from same. show to show to wow. show to show to show, who is just making consistent placements wow. for me, and that consistent placements equals consistent income. And yeah, if you're if if your song isn't making a ton of money, you're just getting like. Every every particular song that's getting on like this HGTV show is only bringing in forty dollars or thirty five dollars mm. or we'll just say fifteen bucks or whatever. Okay, maybe because they're only using you know like maybe like forty five seconds or whatever of it. That's yeah, that's not great money. But you know they also replay that show a lot, and you also don't mm. know where that guy's going to go. And that's the thing is it's about consistent placements. You can't look at it and go you're gonna. I've had I've had the biggest placement. I mean, I've had a theme song, but I've had the biggest placement that you could possibly have, and that is a commercial on on the on the um, Super Bowl, and I have yet to retire from it. So, so, so the reality is that not you know one placement isn't going to retire okay. anyone. Okay, that's important. You have to just look at the consistency of it because right. the first step of my process is to always be building your catalog. Yes. So you build your catalog and you want your music to get out there. You want it to get placed. You want it to, to be doing stuff for you, you know, and then and on a consistent basis. That brings in consistent money and you can't game it. I, I, I've tried. I've been doing it for a long time now, 15 years, over 15 years. And over, I, yeah. I have yet to be able to game the system. There's no way to, you know, you find out randomly like, oh, my God, this song just got used on this trailer. Oh, my God, I just got this big film trailer here. But then at the same point, that same piece of music got used on Impractical Jokers. Oh, they, okay. perfect example. 
Perfect example. That's what I'm saying. I, I really like the reference to the penny stocks because my theory is just keep on churning out the work. Now, yeah. a lot of people say, oh, it's all about quality, not quantity. Yes, I agree. But make your quantity quality. Yeah. Which means, look, I always tell all my composer uh, colleagues because I, I group them in. I call all my composer friends. I say, hey, guys, I got a new a new brief pitch for a show everybody submit let's all submit together come yeah. on let's yeah. let's inundate them with like you know 300 submissions for this show why not let's do it i'm i'm, I'm tight with the editor i'm i'm tight with the eic the editor-in-chief right well, there you go I, man that, that i'll tell you the majority of my placements come from editors there you go and, and we go out to lunch we go to our favorite cuban place we go to our favorite thai place with this and that we hang out we talk we talk about the kids blah blah yeah. blah this and that and i uh, bring all my guys in and i say or my people and i say look do me a favor. Do one cue a day. Do mm. one a day. Just and, and set aside three to four hours yeah. for that one cue. Yeah. I'm not telling you to, to put in 12 hours on that cue. Yeah. No. Set two, three, maybe four hours if it's a more involved. Like if it's if there's a lot of orchestration sure. and you have to really be careful with your samples and get the articulations right on the yeah. strings. Okay, so spend four hours on that. But for the average cue, two hours, three hours is more than enough time. Wouldn't you agree? So, uh, uh, oh yeah, easily. And using templates and yeah. and all and all and all the dope plugins that you know. For so sure, forth. for sure. And, uh, and unless you're doing like like uh, like full vocal songs, full vocal songs become yeah, a whole different. separate thing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. they pay higher. But you know, to give you an example, I I wrote a song with a buddy of mine in 2005 or 2006. I don't recall exactly when, but it was that era. And, and it didn't get placed. It became a theme song for a Saturday morning kids show in 2011. We are nine years into that show. It runs every freaking Saturday. We have the intro, I mean the theme song, and we have uh, what they call occurrences. Those are the ins and outs and the bumpers. And the that, bumpers, they, yeah. they use that uh, same track. So not only do we have the theme, but we get uh, between 11 and 13 occurrences every Saturday morning. But that song sat for about five years. Yeah, but now it's working the passive side of the income. Oh, it's been working you. the passive side of the income for, yeah. it's, it's insane, See, it's insane. You didn't get a massive sync license, but you're getting consistent passive. Very, yes, every Saturday, you can't <laughs> argue with that. I mean, consistent. It's, it's, and the thing is, you don't know. You know, I, I also know, I know, I'll use another example. I did a song with another buddy of mine, and I know that I did that one in August of 2006. Um, and, uh, and that was uh, we were we were pitching for a, another show. Uh, it did not get chosen. We were pitching for the theme song of another show. Did not get chosen. And in 2000, and I think 16, my buddy called me up, like literally 10 years later, said, "Hey, so this song just got picked up as a theme song for this other show. They need to know your, um, it, you know, I moved, um, I changed my PRO affiliation between then, and so he needed." new information from me, my new address and my new PRO numbers and stuff like that. But the thing is interesting is it took 10 years. That song took uh, 10 years uh, wow. to, to start doing something. So you can't look at it like, well, that they didn't use my song that I wrote last time, therefore I'm not going to do anything. No, you have to consistently add because you don't know. Now, there are ways that you can actually um, uh, make this work for you, and that that's steps two and three of my process. And that is okay. creating what I call the valuable content, which are your multiple mixes and your stems and your cut down mixes. And then mm. step three, which is thorough, thorough, 
I'll say it a third time. Thorough, <laughs> thorough metadata. Metadata. I, I see. <laughs> yeah, and it, and 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 there is a there is a way. Uh, you know, I've, I was telling, uh, you know, I was sharing earlier before we recorded, but uh, I did a thing recently where I was on a on a webinar, and I had the the people. I did it twice actually. I had the people on the webinar. Um, I said, "Give me some words. Uh, we're going to go into this catalog of three hundred thousand songs." I'm uh, I'm I, I I gave them an example of a of a of a of a scene to keep in oh, mind, yeah. and I yeah. knew that I had music along the lines that would fit this particular scene, and the yeah. people in the webinar. Chose the what chose the descriptive words. We input that in. The first search brought out uh, seven, narrowed it down to seven tracks. I had four of them. The very next search. No, stop. That we did, slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Because you, you you have to really let this yeah. soak in. Hold on. It brought up seven songs. Yeah. From your metadata query, it brought in seven songs, and four of them were yours. Yeah, out of three hundred thousand songs, it narrowed at, down hold to on, seven. Hold on, hold on. Out of three, listen. Yeah. Out of three hundred thousand, I need you to be emphatic, okay? Oh, it's out amazing, of, Michael. How about that? <laughs> listen, I, I'm emphatic. Listen, <laughs> out of three hundred, but I, I really want the yeah. listeners to understand this and how feasible it is. Look, these are not pipe dreams, folks. No. When I'm not selling you fucking pipe dreams, uh, Michael and I are talking about real shit. 300,000 song options. This is a query on, on metadata. Yes. 300,000 songs. Seven songs come up based on the metadata metadata terminology that you chose. They chose. I didn't choose. They chose. It. I had them okay. choose it. Oh, they, I, even I, better. I just gave them. I just gave them the scenario. I said, imagine you're watching a even Disney better. Pixar film. Describe the scene. Use everyone send in a couple words, and then I chose like four or five words that people had typed up into the chat box. I input it and it narrowed it down to seven. Out of the seven, I had four. Now I wanted to show that I didn't fake this. I wasn't playing with them. So I said, oh, this is amazing. I was actually surprised that I had that many. So I said, okay, I'm gonna delete these. Whoever wants to give me a bunch of other descriptive terms, not like the other four that we added or whatever. And then boom, a bunch of other ones popped up. I copied them, I put them right into the search. I hit the button. There were eight, I think, that showed up in the next search. I had one. Now the goal here, is that it's it's not necessarily because my music was amazing. It's because the metadata that I attach to the music is fucking amazing. <laughs> I love that. I love I love how okay, now I get the emphasis. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> all right. Did everybody hear that? So listen, because you have to be realistic. Let's say we're competing. Let, there's 8 billion people on the earth. There's uh, 3 or 4 billion that have access to the internet. Uh, how many uh, hundred millions are actually musicians? And then how many hundred, maybe 100 million, let's call it 100 million professional musicians, career musicians. Okay. And then from there, and let's, let's keep deduce, uh, cutting it down, reducing our odds. And let's say there's 50 million that are professionals and blah, blah, blah. And then maybe there's 20 million that understand this part of it. Okay, right. You see where I'm getting. Yeah. You see where I'm going. Yeah. Okay. So I'm 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 counting my odds, right? I'm hedging my bets. So out of three hundred thousand song submissions, seven came up, and and Michael's four of Michael's songs were in there. And then on the next query, yes, eight songs repeat, showed up. I eight had songs one of showed them. up, and you had one of them. Yeah. So, look, listen, folks. You have to understand these numbers. Do you have? Do you realize how important that is? 
that's huge. Mm. And I'm not trying to be some over, you know, uh, zealous kind of used car salesman, but this is real stuff. Mm -hmm. And this is what I want the career musician to understand that real musicians don't starve. And this is why you don't have to starve. You see how I work yeah, that I in? I love there, it. Baby? I love yeah. that. That's amazing. Because <laughs> the career musician knows real musicians don't starve. They, yeah. and, and this is the truth. You just have to sh study a little bit to learn the ins and outs. Hey, folks. Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Yeah, and, and it kind of goes back to the idea of, of you know, uh, you know, that kind of goes back to what I said earlier about, like, it's if, if you've tried at licensing your music and you failed, it's not your fault. It's simply because you most likely just did not know the process so that your music can actually show up and, and in the search and you can actually have a chance of getting it. The reason That's why right. a lot of people have failed and I've been, do, I've been, you know, I, since, since, since we met 15 years ago, you know, I've been in, in the licensing world and, and, you know, I've been talking, you know, and sharing this with, cause a lot of musicians are always asking, you know, how, how they can do this as well. And it really boils down to, I don't ever teach how to write songs for TV because there is no right way to write a music. There's no music magic for TV. formula. No. That's right. I, the, That's right. The worst song I ever wrote, the freaking worst song, worst piece of crap I ever wrote, <laughs> was licensed on Hannah Montana and High School Musical too. So, so if believe me, if, if, oh, if oh, biggest, I like how you throw that in there. Though. Piece of crap. No, but but it got but it's true because because it was something that I thought like this is this is no one's ever going to use this, but no, but I, they did. Um, and you made tens of thousands of dollars off that. Well, the thing that I learned, and let me give you an example. This is a great story of, of, of what I've learned here, is that when we look at our songs, a lot of times we step back and we look at the entirety of it. So um, uh, let, let's say you're looking at a ruler, okay? You're looking at a ruler and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a 12-inch ruler, okay? And that's the length of our song, okay? So we're looking at that. And around like the three-inch part, that's where the, the verse comes in. And you know, four and a half inches, that's where the, the first chorus comes in, whatever, right? So, so we have different sections on that ruler that, that relate to different parts of our song, right? But we look at the song because we created it. We look at it as a whole. And we can go, boy, the song is great or whatever. But maybe that bridge that starts around like the seven inch mark to like the eight and a half inch mark, that's, a, that's just not good or whatever, right? Well, the thing is with, with licensing is that an editor, uh, when your song is placed in a TV show, that whole ruler is not going to slide in there. What's going to happen is a little section of that ruler is, that's and right. it might start at the three and a half mark, inch mark, and it might go to five inches. And that maybe that's the, the last line of your verse into the first two lines of your chorus. Who knows, right? And sections of that are going to be used. And I had a song that I really liked at one point uh, early in my career. I, this was a great uh, learning experience for me. I spent a lot of time on the verse and on the chorus. I had a beautiful singer, vocalist come in and, and sing just beautiful vocals on it, um, female vocals on it. We just do these 
great background vocals in the chorus. It just was magnificent. And the bridge was just a piece of crap because the bridge had to be done really quickly and just wrote garbage lyrics, couldn't even figure out the right melody to fit her voice because because uh, like her voice sat in there. If she did a lower harmony, it was too low. If we did a higher harmony, it was too high for her voice. So we were kind of in this weird quandary of what do we do here? So I just sang a lower vocal harmony. So out of nowhere in this bridge comes a male voice. Weird, right? And the lyrics were just garbage. It was, I'm so glad you found me. I'm lost in your love. When you surround me, I can't get enough. Just stupid lyrics. And... <laughs> And, and it got licensed on a TV show. And I was so excited about it because I thought, this is great. The chorus is beautiful. Well, when the show came out, mm. I watched it. And the, and, and the entire show went all the way through and I never heard the song. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, maybe they gave me the wrong date. Well, what happened was in the show, the story is that this new guy comes into town, steals the, the girl from the other co-star guy, and he's a total scumbag and just leaves her at the end and dumps her, right? And she ends up, at this table, like by the beach with her ex, they're making up. And, and she says, you know, she, she's basically saying that, you know, you were right. The guy was a scumbag. He's like, I know. And then he says, she goes, you know, I'm, I'm so glad I have you. And he goes, well, you always know where to find me. And that's it. Then it goes from there out to, you know, the silhouette of them walking on the ocean, you know, and then the credits run. But right when he says, you you always know where to find me. That's when the bridge swells in. And the first line is, I'm so glad you found me. I'm lost in your love. When you surround me, I can't get enough. And that bridge okay. into the outro, uh, in, uh, outro musical section is what happens during the silhouette portion and then, and then the closing credits. And it's about a, you know, like about a, I don't know, maybe like a 25, 30 second placement. But at that moment, I learned, first off, that stupid bridge perfectly summed up the entirety of that entire episode. It right. fit perfectly. And I realized every section of a song can find a home. So, so in that case, if you're looking at that ruler, they only used from like the seven inch mark to like the eight and a half inch mark for that placement, but it was right. perfect for that placement. And that song has been that's placed right. in a lot of other shows, but, but that's when I learned that it doesn't matter what you're writing. Everything you write, can find a home somewhere. Somewhere. Uh, and let me just say this. You said a minute ago, oh, this is a stupid bridge. It was these stupid lyrics. No. Conversely, the bridge and the lyrics were not stupid. Yeah. They were actually perfectly poignant yep. because they found a home that was appropriate and relevant yep. to the subject matter. Yep. It was, they were simple. And it's interesting because I had viewed those songs. Now, I don't view... I, I, I view this now... Exactly as you say. I, I, I have a different perspective of, of these songs. But I had yeah. come from album world. I, I lived in Nashville, songwriting you know, world where right. you know, there are all these stupid rules, stupid oh. songwriting rules that songwriters follow that are complete garbage. But oh. I had that. I had been brainwashed to follow these stupid rules. And so, again, I looked at this song and I was like, that's just a stupid chorus. I'll go back and I'll, I'll rewrite it at some point. But the reality is that chorus made me a lot of money. And that dumb song that I'm joking about with the High School Musical and the, and the Hannah Montana, I, I, I joke about it being a stupid song, but it's not a stupid song. It was no. stupid. When I looked at it as a stupid song because I was looking at it compared to like these Nashville songwriter, you know, songwriting things, uh, rules. But, that song made me a lot of money. And when I actually really stepped back and I analyzed it, the reason why that song got placed was because it was so youthful. 
and that's not who I was by any means as an artist at the time, but it was just goofy lyrics that were kind of, you know, very goofy. But those sure. lyrics fit the youthfulness of shows like Hannah Montana and High School Musical, right? That's right. And, and so that's when I realized, you know what? You can rhyme home with alone. Rhyming home with alone is a no-no in the uh, in the songwriting circles, but it's yeah, beautiful. Yeah. It's perfect yeah, in the licensing works. world because it's simple and everyone can recognize it. And I'm a big fan of a particular producer, also songwriter named Mutt Lang. And I'm yeah. to the point to where um, it's almost fanatical. And uh, Def Leppard, Shania Twain. Yeah, the list goes on. Yeah, Brian Adams, ACDC. Brian Adams, ACDC. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Cars, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, foreigner. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Maroon 5, Nickelback. Hey, we can keep yeah, going. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, when you really listen to a lot of his lyrics, because he wrote a lot of lyrics too, especially the Shania Twain stuff. I love the Shania stuff. When yeah. you listen to those lyrics, they're so simple. Simple. They're Kiss, so keep it simple, simple. stupid. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and of course, I had to get past this mode of, of all these songwriting rules that I learned the first four and a half years I lived in Nashville yeah. to where I had to go, you know what? You can rhyme. Every line can be the same, same line. Um, okay. you know, the same I, rhyme. Yeah. The same okay. rhyme. I have a song yeah. called you again, where the, every other line from every verse and every chorus is the words you again. And that song has been placed, I mean, dozens of times and every line, the chorus and the verses, every other line is the word you again the words you again. So it's breaking every rule possible. But when you sync that up to TV, again, we got to keep in mind that we can't look at it like the whole 12 inch ruler. We got to look at it from increments, increments. Yes, that's right, baby. Okay, dude, Michael, this has been amazing. First of all, wow. Okay. Second of all, wow. Third of all, <laughs> master sensei guru. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Cobra Kai. But uh, listen, uh, wrapping this up because this is perfect. This is all the information you need. And folks, remember, mastermusiclicensing.com. Listen, Michael, leave us with words of wisdom. If you could give us one little nugget of wisdom, because like you said, you're sitting here shattering. You are shattering lifelong, you know, decade-long, century-long uh, kind of codes sure. in, within the music industry. You're breaking the rules Words of wisdom, one little nugget that you would tell us. One nugget that I would say is that after you're done listening to this, when you're home tonight uh, and, you're, and you're sitting in front of your TV, uh, consciously make an effort to turn off um, like your eyes, even if you're watching it, just close your eyes and just listen to the music that you're hearing underneath whatever show you're watching. And if you're just flipping through the channels, watch a show for 10 or 15 minutes and just listen to the music. Stop watching the show. Just listen to the music. And when a commercial comes up, listen to the music. Listen, get into the habit of listening to the music that underscores anything that you're watching on, on the TV set, all right? That's right. And That's you're right. going to start hearing so many different styles of music. You're also going to learn that a lot of the music that you're hearing is not super produced. There's space in there, and there has to be. Minimalistic. Minimalistic. Yes. Because there has to be room for all the other stuff. It has to be room for the footsteps on, on a wood floor or the wind rustling through the leaves or someone putting a Coke bottle down on the table or breathing, you know, the and the dialogue yeah. and the sound design. ADR so, and all that exactly. stuff. Exactly. Folly, yeah. The Foley. yeah, the Foley. I would I would listen, I, I would just listen to the music. You'll you'll start becoming very aware of the wide variety of music that gets mm -hmm. used every day. And, and again, don't ignore the commercials. The commercials are going to be some of the highest paying things you're going to do. Don't ignore the Amen. commercials and the 
And the other thing I would, I would really encourage you to think about, and this is just a mindset shift, is that if you're sitting at home and you're, and you're frustrated that you, know, you didn't get to where you wanted to get to in your career or you know, no one liked your songs and you gave it your best shot and this and that, keep in mind that when you turn on TV, the people who are writing that music are people just like you. They're just like me. They're just like, you know, Nomad. They're, they're, they're just like all of us. They're individuals who really love writing music. We, we are able to do it. Most of us are able to, you know, I think at this point, everyone can pretty much buy Logic or Pro Tools for their computer and, you know, do a fair job. They're, they're so powerful. But, but, uh, but they're right. people who are supplying music and making money licensing their songs are people like you and me. So if you are mm -hmm. thinking, well, I can't do that. That's out of reach. I'm here to tell you you're 100% wrong because people who oh. are writing those music on those shows, they don't live they they don't all live in Los Angeles. They 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 live all over the world. You know, they're writing music out of their home. The only thing is that they've learned the process that delivers a lot of value to the supervisors, the editors and the re-recording mixers that allows their music to be easily searched, auditioned and then licensed. And that's Amen. it. Wow. It's what we talked about that internal dialogue. Don't let your internal dialogue tell you you can't. Switch it. Reprogram it. Make your internal dialogue tell you you can. Yeah, because you and can. You and you will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you when you decide that you can. But it, it's, it's interesting. You know, uh, it, it's I, I think about it like this. If if you said to yourself, you know, your car just broke down. I can't afford a new car. When you say that your brain shuts down and you've you're defeated. You're defeated right now. I'm defeated. I can't afford a new car. I don't know how I'm going to get to work tomorrow, whatever. But when you go, huh, my car broke down. I, I, uh, how, can I get, how can I get a new car? Right when you start asking that question, That's right. your brain starts, how can I get a new car? Well, you know what? I have a buddy of mine who's, he's had a car sitting on the side of his house. Maybe he wants to sell it or maybe I can rent it from That's him or right. whatever. You start That's coming right. up with all of these new paths because your brain is smart. Your brain will start finding those avenues that will allow you to get to the, the reach the goal that you want to get to. So you have to stop saying, I can't. The, the, you have to get that out of your mind. And, and the question that successful people ask, that career musicians ask, that real musicians who don't starve ask is, how can I? And when you ask That's that question, right. the path will start laying itself out in front of you. And then you just start walking down that path. And, you know, it's not going to be a straight path, you know, ready, fire, aim. So you start walking down the path and you get to a little <laughs> corner and you got to you got to maybe, you know, make a little adjustment to get around that corner there. Yeah. Um, but you but you will you will get to the end of that path for sure. <laughs> I, I, there's nothing I could say to top that. Beautiful. Beautiful. Eloquently beautiful. All right. You ready? We're yeah. going to wrap this up with some rapid fire questions. Yeah. I don't want you to think. I just want no you thinking. to say favorite food. Oh, gosh. Pizza. Come on. Pizza. Oh, I see. I love you. See, <laughs> we could we see we could be brothers. Absolutely. Pizza. Come on. That's an what, easy one. Fav favorite topping. I like pineapple. Eh, okay, we can't be brothers anymore. Sorry it's, about it's that, over. man. It's, uh, this bromance is over. <laughs> pepperoni, baby. All right. <laughs> I had a feeling you'd be a pepperoni guy. <laughs> yeah. hey, come on. We're both New Yorkers. All right. Uh, which I still don't understand the pineapple thing, you being a New Yorker. But okay, I'll I, let you slide. I don't know. I just, I just like yeah. the sweetness of it. Yeah. All right. Good point. Good point. Yeah. I like it. Favorite libation? Drink, adult beverage, oh, if you have one. I, I like margaritas. Ooh, love it. Yeah. yeah. I'll also Favorite. do a Moscow Mule anytime. Oh, yeah. See, now we're talking. Yeah. Favorite sport? Football. 
Nice. How do you spend your free time? On my boat. Ooh. Where do you go on your boat? Uh, lake. Uh, well, there's a couple of lakes around here. Uh, if if, uh, if it's just for the day, it'll be Percy Priest. If it's usually we'll try and go out for like four or five days at a time. And in that case, we'll go up to uh, Dale Hollow. Wow. And do you camp out? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Shore yeah. and everything? Yep. Wow. Big deal, huh? Oh, it's awesome, okay. man. Absolutely. I love it. And what, activ- what, what activities did you enjoy on long flights when we weren't under the COVID thing? You know, oh, when you're going to China and Japan and all yes, that. Yes, so I'm the super nerd who, during those long flights, reads or or writes uh, um, I, manifestos. I do, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll write a lot of content. Uh, I yeah. can't I can't sit on a plane and just watch a movie. I feel like that's to me. I just can't do it. So I'll either read a book yeah. uh, or I will write some content that I share uh, with people who uh, like are, follow me in the licensing world. I love it. What's the latest song, band, or artist that you have listened to that oh. you have not worked on? Oh, uh, like consciously listened to or like they just yeah. happen to be on the radio? No, that you really want to listen to because you enjoy it, but you have nothing to do with that music. Sadly, I hate to say it because I wish I had something to do with the music, <laughs> but in my car right now, I have Shania Twain's Up album and I have the pop version, not the country version. And it's one of my favorite albums of all time next to Def Leppard's Hysteria and uh, Brian Adams' Waking Up the Neighbors. Nice. Now, Michael, can you can you give me the common thread between all three albums? Mutt Lang. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, the producer. That's easy. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> we just said it. All right. Favorite TV show and or movie that you have maybe you've been streaming lately? Oh, my God. The Office. I mean, I, I, I'll Office. watch The Office every okay. day. Okay. Unbelievable. Good, good, good. Uh, shopping. Online, brick and mortar. Uh, uh, pre and post COVID, brick and mortar. Ah, good. I like that. Dream collaboration. If you can collaborate with one mu- musical uh, entity, whether dead or alive, who would it be? Ed Roland from Collective Soul. Ooh, that's I haven't heard that I, one. That's I, a I very good one. I think he is one of the best, most underrated songwriters and performers. I mean, that would be a dream gig for me. Just to, I, 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 I just love them. I, I love his songs, and I think he's uh, fun to watch live. But I, yeah. I think his songs are so unique. He just has a very unique voice and a very unique style. I, I really like Collective Soul. Very cool. And you know what's what interesting we... about Collective Soul, by the way, is that you know they never really got the big, the big, you know, right. but, the big payoff, the Pearl Jam. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you know what's funny is is when you really pay attention, if you know their catalog, you hear their music on a lot of TV shows. Their music is perfect for that, and you there hear you their music a lot on the radio. Like if you're at a restaurant or something like that, it's 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 that kind of music that you hear a lot, but sometimes you don't always know it's them. All right, very atmospheric and 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 uh, conducive to the ambience in the room. Yeah, yeah. it's 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 just yeah. great great tunes and yeah, love that. Hey, listen, last question. You ready? Okay. It's a big one. What would you do if you weren't a career musician? Oh gosh, um, like if if I had never gone down the music path. Yeah, if you weren't a professional musician ever, you never made a career out of music. What would you do? I, uh, well, I would probably be stuck at Home Depot mixing paint for people. <laughs> hey, that's cool. <laughs> I love the paint department at Home Depot. <laughs> I used to mix paint at a at a hardware store back in my early twenties. So I, I, I probably would still be doing that if I if I didn't pursue music. I love it. See, that's a testament <laughs> to the fact that real musicians don't starve. It is. Thank God. <laughs> I love it. Michael Elsner, thank you so much for being a guest on The Career Musician. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. 
You're listening to the Career Musician Podcast by Nomad. Subscribe to the brand new Career Musician YouTube channel, now streaming all of the Career Musician Podcast episodes. Hey, this is Nomad, host and creator of the Career Musician Podcast, and I am thoroughly stoked to be an official member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Pantheon Podcast Network is the first of its kind as an all-music-based podcast collective. Please be sure to check us out at pantheonpodcast.com for more info. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.